Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And this is episode 321, Top 10 Animal Games. we like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, everybody, we are talking about the wildness of just nature itself in itty-bitty cardboard and wood format for this episode. Our feature review will be the top 10, the king of the king, the king of the beast, animal games. Anthony? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it'll be fun. It, it's, you know, we talk about all these different themes, but there's something just animals, right? Just, and not, you know... We'll get into like the specifics of how we chose these because I feel like if we don't get into those details, you're gonna be like, "Well, what about this and what about this?" <laughs> but there's some specific criteria that we were working with. We want fun animals with agency. They don't talk or walk around. Just animals in the real world doing animal things. Um, it'll be fun. It's a celebration of our animal friends out there in the world in board game format. And again, we always talk about how wonderful it is to experience the world, different places, different cities, different countries, different cultures, different genders, everything in the world that you can possibly experience in board games. But today we're talking about all of our dear, sweet animal friends out there in the world and getting those games to the table so you can learn a little bit more about them and obviously about us and in the world. But that will be our feature review, and we'll get to that in a minute. But before we get into all that fun stuff, uh, Anthony, there's a little thing coming up on uh, Board Game Geek that we wanted to talk about. Yeah, we don't. So we don't normally do this. And we do not. <laughs> not even a little we're not bit. Like the, we're not the back padding type, but no. but it is the this time of year again. The annual Golden Geek Award nominations are open. The fifteenth mm-hmm. year. And they have a category for best podcast. And <gasps> just saying, just saying, this is a podcast and we've been doing it for a long time. So if you're listening to this, if you love the show, if you think that, you know, it would be cool if we were nominated, we also think it'd be cool if we were nominated and we would love for you to you know, <laughs> toss our name into the ring. Um, so all you have to do is go to Board Game Geek. It's like a big thing at the top of the page. Click on that and it'll pull it all up. You click on Board Game Podcast at the very top. And mm-hmm. we are in that ginormous list of like 400 podcasts. Uh, just it's all in alphabetical order. Look for Board Gamers Anonymous, and that'd be awesome. So yeah, yeah, I'd appreciate it because again, we'd like to get board gaming out there to more people. We've been doing this for eight years. We added YouTube, we added Twitch, we added video now of the podcast every Friday night. So again, if you'd like to watch this video wise, it's up there. But we have been forever the most introverted anonymous board game podcast out there and we've reveled in it it's been really fantastic that we get to do this with you each and every week but at the same time we want to bring more people to the table so yeah if you get a chance run over to board game geek and you know drop us drop our name because that hopefully will get more people to the table all right anthony so again uh so much going on with us we also have a little news as far as a little time and day change for our upcoming bj live yeah yeah so normally we do this every wednesday at 8 30 so if you're a regular viewer you're like wednesday at 8 30 it's on my calendar i'm there right <laughs> yeah this I know week I however <laughs> I, <laughs> me too <laughs> um I this week we do have a little bit of a change yeah 
This week you would miss it, however, because oh, no. it is going to be on Thursday at 8.30, April 15th on Thursday. Um, just a little bit of scheduling shift. This week only, it's going to stay on Wednesdays in general. But this week, if you want to watch BGA Live, live when it's on uh, Twitch, TV slash boardgamearena or on boardgamearena.com. Uh, you're going to want to hit us up on Thursday, April 15th at 8.30 mm-hmm. p.m. Eastern. We're going to be playing Concept, which was one of the biggest, most fun experiences we've had doing BGA Live. It was a blast last time. We had like six, seven people. We're aiming for a full group this time. And ah, that game is so much fun, uh, yeah. especially live like that. And we're going to try to get everybody involved and we can bring their voices in and you know have, you know, the raucous entertainment that is already happening in the background that, but you can't necessarily always hear. So it should be a lot of fun. Don't miss it. I know it's not Wednesday. It's Thursday, but <laughs> check it out. And if you can't catch it live, it's recorded. It's on board game uh, arena. It's on twitch.tv such board game arena. It's on the YouTube channel as well. So you can catch it after the fact as well. Yeah. And I think it's one of the best games to have on Twitch because you can watch this live on board game arena on the home embedded page but you can also and i highly recommend going over to twitch while it's happening live so you could be in the chat and you could actually play along with us as people put together the clues because it's concept it's charades for introverts it's not about winning it's about having fun and if you're in the chat there's a lot of like going on so people are guessing and we're giving points and stuff like that so yeah bring the family bring the friends tell people about it and again you know it's just a really good time and i think we'll we'll add something special to that too anthony just for people who actually uh show up on thursday we will reveal on thursday on bg live where the board gamers anonymous headquarters will be moving to very very soon Oh, oh, big tease. All right. Yeah. Yep. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually happening. So it might be coming close to a town near you. So don't, you know, don't be surprised if you see uh, BGA at your game night because we are moving. And again, we're moving to you maybe. All right, everyone. So please join us for BGA Live on Thursday, 830 Eastern Standard Time, Eastern Daylight Time. We would love for you to be in the chat. Come to the chat. Come to Twitch. Have a great time with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. But, Anthony, that's what's going on with us. Let's talk about what's going on with our listeners. What's our question of the week? All right. Yeah, so question of the week this week. What is the best designed, most aesthetically pleasing game board in the hobby? Ooh. So the just the board space that you're looking at. And some people reading sure. this, I think they they interpreted that as just board game in the hobby. And so yes. those are also great answers and we'll run through those as well. But specifically what board do you think looks the most amazing? I have like, sure. I think two, two good answers for this for myself, but okay. uh, let's dive in. So uh, first answers on the list here, Kyle mentions it's hard to argue with scythe, you know, stock answer I know, but it's pretty fantastic, especially if you have all the upgrades. So he really likes nice. the look of that board, which Honestly, I, I can't disagree with. I did find oh. it a little busy at times, but if you're just looking at the board as artwork, it is beautiful. And I want to mention one uh, thing about that too. If you pick up the expansion, the modular board, the module board tiles, I don't know if everyone knows this, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but if you look very closely at the tiles, they have incorporated 
a lot of little tiny character people from sci-fi, video games, movies in the background of those tiles. So it's definitely something to take a look at. If you've never looked at it before, it's going to blow your mind. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Uh, Dead Squirrel Mansion is one of my favorites. PAX Premier Second Edition. It's not even a board. It's a little nope. cloth mat that rolls out. I love it. I absolutely love it. I wish more games did that. It's so cool. Um, David also mentions PAX Premier as well as Scythe. Um, we had several people mention Anachrony, uh, which does have a really cool board. It Yes. The first time you look at it, you'll think, man, this is busy. But once you know what all the icons are and everything, it's really cool. And there's like little Easter eggs in the artwork. And, sure. You know, it's Mind Clash, so it's a lot, but it's a lot of good, right? Gotcha. Um, we have several people mentioned Cloudspire from... Um, uh, what's the company there? The, the chip guys, chip theory. There you go. <laughs> uh, and too many bones, but cloud Spire in particular, I think is, has the more sprawling kind of open space that you're playing on. Mm-hmm. So the neoprene mat combined with the chips is aesthetically just very pleasing. Um, and that's what they go for. So I would hope so. Uh, Nick mentions brass Birmingham as mm-hmm. uh, a really good board. And he said, and he admits it too. like, some people think it's too dark, but he really finds it, you know, aesthetically pleasing, efficient. It's really strong as a Euro board. I would agree with that. I do always play with the light side of the board because some people have trouble seeing everything on the dark side of the board. But sure. compared to like the old versions of any of those games, literally any of them, it's so amazing. You know, and a lot of games are doing something similar now, but that one in particular really knocks it out of the park. Uh, gotcha. So what about you, Chris? What do you think? What's uh, well, your favorite I- theme board? I, I have a definitive answer, but also I have a kind of quasi answer. Let me go with the quasi answer first. What really blew me away very early on in board gaming, and it's not a full board, but it's player boards, and that was Seven Wonders. And mm-hmm. the idea of the Seven Wonders of the world in this beautiful giant cardboard mat that you got to stare at for the whole game because the cards tucked into it throughout. And it was like, here is seven wonderful pieces of artwork and then all the expansions really added to it. And then the new version has day and nighttime and it's even better. So that was the one, like if you said just, you know, if, if you could expand a little bit, that would be it. There's just no arguing for me. I just love architecture. I think it's phenomenal. It's diverse. It really shows the wonderment of, you know, the ancient worlds and such. If I had to go with a specific board, like a board board, then it's going to be Lisboa. And again, Ian O'Toole's artwork, the the graphic design, how it's so subtly kind of just weaved into the game board. Like the board itself is so informative of what you need to do. And yet at no time does it like just pronounce itself. It's just in there. So you look at the board and you're like, oh, I, I see how this moves. I see how this game works. This makes sense. But it's never overwhelming. It always stays just as one piece of artwork. And in fact, I've told this story before, but my friend Lee, he played the game with me twice, hated the game, like just hated the game, but took the board and has it as a piece of uh, artwork just because he loves it so much. And I can't argue with that because graphic design, artwork there combined, just really a great, great aesthetic, you know? And it's, again, it's, it's that kind of blueprint. It's got that subtle soft like baby blue or robin's egg blue kind of like feel to the board so it's a very serene kind of board on top of it too 
Yeah. So like I mentioned, I had two. That was one of them for sure. Okay. Lisboa is just amazing. Uh, my other sure. one is War of the Ring. Cause oh, yeah, yeah. That game board, it takes the original maps that Tolkien made for his universe that he created, Middle Earth, and it it's fully illustrated. It maps out all these different locations. It, it does it in a way where it's still amenable and accessible for gameplay. And then they went and made it bigger. You know, so I have the anniversary board, which doesn't fit on any table I own at the moment, but it's just absolutely beautiful with like gold foil on some of the you know the location names. And I, you know, I've got these upgrades now. I can actually put the towers on the map and all these different, you know, the fortresses and stuff. So it just feels like I'm like drawn into that universe whenever I put that board out and I love it. Wow. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. The only thing that ruins that board for me is that over the years, so many people have 3D printed, you know, all the different like, you know, mountains and spires and right. Mount Doom and everything. So now like every time I look at the board, I'm like, oh, where's the 3D elements to this? Oh, I can't, oh, you know, it kind of hurts a little bit. But no, I absolutely agree with you as far as that's concerned. All right. So that's what's going on. Our listeners, again, we would love for you to join us at the table. Hit us up on all of the social medias. You don't love them. I don't love them. But it's a great way to stay in contact. So please hit us up and let us know what your favorite game board is. Because, again, we would love to get those to the table. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with our listeners and, I guess, now our viewers. So let's talk about the games that we want at the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. Yeah, so... Uh, mine's an interesting one this week. It is a, a new game from Alain Orban, uh, who is one of the co-designers on several of my favorite games. Uh, he worked sure. on Twa, he worked on Black Angel, worked on the, the dice game of Twa. So he's like one of the trio of designers who's worked on those big games for Pearl Games. But now he has a game that only he's worked on that's coming from Game Brewer. It's up on Kickstarter right now called Hippocrates. So this is a game about Hippocrates, which is like, you know, Hippocratic Oath and everything is like one of the first physicians. Like he helped codify some of these ideas and concepts about what it means to be a physician, you know, 2,400 years ago. And the game is about going out and finding these patients and collecting their tributes and then finding the right physician and matching them up to the patients to deliver the right medicine and ideally, you know, help them survive. So each of the game rounds which there are four uh go into five phases so the first phase is i'm not even going to pronounce these but you go out because <laughs> my greek uh, um but you go out and you try to find patients right so you're going to find three patients for your hospital and you want to make sure that you choose the right ones they need to you know you want people who need urgent help uh some of them might be a little bit easier to treat but you're not going to get as much out of it uh but you also want to make sure that you manage the reputation of your doctors so as like a little bit of a feel, not really, but a little bit of like a clinic where there's some cynicism in here just in terms of healthcare, um, yeah. but it's also a little more removed from the system. Like when, when you're talking about clinic, that's modern day hospital systems. This is again, you know, almost yeah. 2,500 years ago. Um, next round, you're going to pay your doctors based on whatever comes from your patients. Um, you're going to hire new doctors and purchase medicine. And then you're going to treat the patients. And this is kind of a cool little mechanic where you lock the patients into a doctor and the doctor will administer certain types of medicine. You'll match those to the medicine that the patient needs. And you might have to lock in a second doctor if that specific patient can't be treated by one person, right? 
Mm. And you're going to score points and get bonuses based on how you do that. So it's like a little puzzle that you're trying to solve uh, based on all the actions you took in the first three parts of the round. So it's got all sorts of stuff. There's auction bidding in terms of the patients. There's tile placement. There's resource management. Make sure you have the right medicine and everything in place. And it looks pretty cool. Um, And it's the kind of game I would certainly back. There's like one big problem, though. It's crazy expensive because, of course, it is. Uh, It's it's a medium-ish weight euro on Kickstarter from Game Brewer. So it is almost $100. And so, I, you know, looking at it, looking at the weight of the game, knowing the general weight of games from Game Brewer, they tend to be like Gugong, for example. I love that game. It's great. But it's not the heaviest game I own. So I don't play it, you know, and it doesn't take that long when I do as often. Um, and they just come right out the out of the gate they're like extra large game board custom insert you got player boards they're insets you know all these amazing artwork and it is amazing artwork um all this extra materials and medicine vials are like 3d printed uh you've got victory point markers and reputation markers are all screen printed like there's a lot of really cool stuff on here and then on top of that you can get the metal coins that doesn't come with the 82 dollars pledge you have to pay an extra 20 dollars to get that so you get to the bottom of it and you're like, okay, if I want everything plus shipping, I'm looking at like 120 bucks for this game that admittedly looks cool, but again, it's Kickstarter, so I've never played it and I don't know if it's any good. So I'm on I'm on the fence. I probably won't back this at that price, but sure. I am very interested. I hope somebody I know does because I do want to play it. It looks good. Uh, so if that sounds good to you and it's in your budget, I do recommend checking it out. It's on there for 17 more days. Um Hippocrates. Yeah, I saw this and I was excited because I really liked the look of the game and I really liked the theme of the game. And then I saw who was publishing the game on Kickstarter and I was like, of course, because (laughs) they do such a really nice job with their games. I mean, they're quality games. They're updated, you know, upgraded versions of their games are even better as far as production is concerned. So I've never found a problem with anything they've done with the exception of the price, I do feel like that their prices across the board, whatever game they've come out with, have just always been, I don't know, 20% higher than they really should be for what the game is. And it's a shame because one of those things, one of the problems with Kickstarter, which should should look like and should seem like a very good thing, the fact that you could only get this on Kickstarter. So you see, you feel at least somewhat justified in backing the game instead of waiting for retail. But since they're not putting these like Uber Kickstarter versions in retail, no one's really getting them. So I've played a lot of the retail versions of these games and it, it honestly is a diminishing experience. You're like, Oh, okay. I, yeah, I could see the, if the components were better, I would maybe enjoy this a little bit more just because there is a big gap between their deluxe, super deluxe version and their kind of like, hey, cardboard chits, <laughs> you know, like, ah, uh, you know, there, there is something a little disappointing, you know, not getting like real emeralds or whatever it is. So, yeah, again, I would want to back this. It just, again, all of their games have been relatively okay, but, you know, over felt for me at least a little bit overpriced. So I think I'm, this is going to be the same thing on the pass on these. And I'm just... It, I'm going to have to wait for one day when they maybe stick them all together in like this major set and it's a reasonable price 
but I don't think they're going to do that. So um, I hope somebody gets this, like you said, so we'll get a chance to get the deluxe version to the table. So, yeah. All right, so I'm going to talk about a campaign that's currently going on Kickstarter. This is one of the most weird, interesting games I've ever played. It should not work. It makes no sense why they would put all this stuff together. And I love the game, and I can't really explain why, other than madness. I think madness would explain why I love the game. So this is Australia with a Z, Big Box, and Revenge of the Old Ones, and Tasmania, also with a giant Z. This is two expansions for the acclaimed Australia, again, giant Z, game by Martin Wallace. It's currently on Kickstarter, and the campaign will run until Thursday, April 22nd at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So, I remember playing this. I remember thinking it was the most ridiculous game ever, because why is there Cthulhu in my Martin Wallace? You know, like, this is not peanut butter and chocolate kind of thing. Like, this makes no sense. And not only is it like a hard Euro, and not only is it Cthulhu themed, but there's actually like Cthulhu elements in the game. Madness is actually something that actually happens in the game. And if that was not enough, beyond this kind of like putting together railroad tracks and moving resources and stuff like that, there is also a quasi war game element to it. You're actually building up armies and troops and you're you're gaining special vehicles and you're, you know, you're paying for them through the resources, and you're getting special uh, leaders that will actually command your troops throughout. And I'm just like, come on, come on, no, come on, why, no, no. And it works perfectly, and I just still can't explain why it's that good. But basically, again, the base game is now available once again. This was from Stronghold Games, and it's a good game. It's weirdly a good game. It's It's, again you are all kind of building up your economy and then building up your military forces to deal with the elder gods in order to hopefully protect your economy, which then will eventually wear down all the demons and monsters and such. So yeah. And then those demons and monsters and they're just causing havoc everywhere. So they could also cause havoc for your friends or your, you know, your competitors at the table it actually works. I, again, it's really hard to kind of explain why three very radically different elements would work really well together in a game that is plain, bland, generic Euro and military movement and creation and then Cthulhu on top of it. But it works. Now, this campaign and reason again is if you want to back the game. Awesome, you could do that. But there's also two expansions here. So the two expansions is really where this game kind of takes off. There really isn't, at least currently in the campaign, I don't think there's going to be like anything radically added in the different like milestones. They're just like, they're rolling out the milestones. It's not based on any kind of money. There's going to be game trays in it. There's going to be some promo cards. So again, there really isn't that kind of initiative to kind of back it, at least at this level. But again, there's two expansions. So... Australia, the main expansion here, Revenge of the Old Ones, is going to allow one of the players to actually control the evil forces of the Old Ones on the board. So this takes a radical turn. So now it's one versus many. And I love that. You don't see a lot of one versus many in the game. This is great. It adds some additional terrible creatures that you'll be able to summon in order to mess with the players. 
I love this. I love this. It's great. It adds a little more defensive features for the humans, but this is really a great addition. This is just like takes the game the same, but just really kind of mixes it up a bit. So I really love that a lot. The second expansion is basically maps because what it's going to give you is two different maps. One is for one to two players and one to two, three players. If you're playing with the expansion, this is necessary because again, if you've ever played a game with, you know, a set map and you have different player counts, you know that there's just always going to be an area of the map that's going to be, you know, like exploited and no one's going to be able to do anything about it. So actually doing the small world kind of thing and having maps for the player count is excellent. And I'm really happy about that. So uh, mainly that's what we're looking at here. If you want everything, if you want like what they call the new recruit, which is the, the base game and then the expansions, it's going to cost you $99, which is kind of a lot, but not too much. What really hurts me here is that th for that, at least in the US, it's $30 shipping. So, and it's just basically one base game and two expansions. And the expansion, the other expansion is just the map. I mean, there's some elements to the map. There's like hidden elements to the map. I'm not saying the map is bad, but it just, it, you know, I don't know why, why so expensive? <laughs> why is this? And that's, and that's the US, which is cheap, the cheapest. Canada, Puerto Rico's 40. You know, obviously if it's Australia or New Zealand, it's cheaper a little bit over there, but you know, Europe always gets hit hard. Unfortunately, Asia gets hit hard. I don't understand the shipping here. I don't know why it's so expensive here. I mean, you could pick up the base game much, much cheaper. Yeah, you're missing out on a couple of promo cards, but nothing that's going to change or break the game whatsoever. Uh, the expansions will certainly come to retail at some point. So I don't know if I can recommend backing the game because of the expensive shipping and that the expansions, again, uh, you know, do add to the game, but maybe not for the additional cost on top of which, which is already full MSRP here. So... Highly recommend for Plain Australia. And I, again, I, I would highly recommend and I totally anticipate wanting to play these expansions. Again, maybe there's some madness that will eventually pop up that makes me want to back this at the last second. Or maybe they're holding something back that makes the $30 in shipping kind of worth it. Because let's be honest, if we're backing board games online, we're going to spend $75 on 100 and then save ourselves $30 in shipping that just goes out the window. And again, that's just the U.S. cost. Everybody else is getting hit hard. So I don't know, Anthony, you've never played this game, right? I have not, no. Like, I feel like the branding did it in for me. I Yeah, I could see that. Maybe I knew it was Martin Wallace. Maybe I didn't. But I saw what I assumed to be a war game set in Australia with Cthulhu. And I was like, <laughs> no. God, no. Zero interest. Negative interest in this yeah. game burn it with fire uh yes and it turns out it's actually a pretty interesting euro game but because of course it is it's martin wallace like he also made study in emerald which turned out to be also be an interesting euro game yes so yeah I, I need to play this game uh i am interested too like i'm looking through the kickstarter the artwork seems a lot better in yes they have new waters mm-hmm yeah, because the, the original game, that was another thing that like really got to me. It's like, this art is bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't like it. Um, so it, it is kind of cool. Like, it looks like they've upgraded a lot of things. So I, I'm tempted, but I, again, I haven't played it. So I, I couldn't drop this kind of money on something. But I'll add it to the list of hopefully someone I know backs it because <laughs> it looks I'm, good. I'm close. I'm close to backing it because, like you said, 
I think it's such an oddity that no one's going to pull the trigger on this and I ha- and I'm going to have to buy it. And I just, uh, I don't want to pay the shipping. I just don't want to pay the shipping. <laughs> I'll pay money for a good game. It's just when you're paying so much in shipping, it kind of throws you there. But um, it's definitely worth checking out. And you should. Because, again, it's one of those things that, like, board game does better than anything else. Where it just takes all kinds of random genre and says, hey, do you want to play with these toys? Like, yeah, I want to play with those toys. And then, like, it's fun. So who knew? Who knew that was thing? And it's Martin Wallace. Like, dude, Martin Wallace. Come on. All right. So those are the games that we want to hit our table, despite their ridiculous, ridiculous shipping fees. But we want them to hit the table. But uh, that's our acquisition disorders for this week. Anthony, let's get to get let's get on to the games that we did hit the table this week and let people know if they're a buy and they should run out and buy those games, even if the shipping is way too high. They should play those games and dear God, someone buy someone else buy those games so we can play them. If those games are a dodge and they should avoid them like the oddity of a Cthulhu Euro war game, or if those games are the dreaded burn because Cthulhu himself has come along and said, yeah, I'm going to raise the shipping now so you can't buy it at all. So, Anthony, what have you played this week? All right. Yeah, so I actually got a chance to play a real game with real people. (laughs) So I guess that I guess our last week's feature review did work out for you, huh? It did, yeah. So thank you, vaccination people, whoever you are, because I got to go out and play games with other vaccinated people. Um, and the first game we played was Mini Express. So this is a game that I did back on Kickstarter, um, as did a friend of mine. We played his copy. Uh, it's designed by Mark Garretts. And Mark Garretts also designed Mini Rails, which is has been a really highly... Um, spoken about game i only got a chance to demo it once at gen con i have not played it and i don't own the game because it's been hard to find but based on that demo i backed mini express on kickstarter because i'm like it's good it's he finds a way to like really boil down the core mechanics of these types of games and it was really simple so this is in a family of what's called like cube rail games where one of the core actions of the game is placing cubes on a map to build routes for trains and there's usually stock elements involved And so in this particular game, he's boiled it down into where you're going to take two actions on every turn or one of two actions on every turn, right? So you can either lay track and expand any of the company's railroads. Uh, So there are four companies in the game. Nobody owns them. That's like one of the core concepts of most train games. People don't own the, the rail companies, but they can influence them and buy stock in them. And if you've influenced the one that you own stock in correctly, great. Um, so you can lay one, you can lay trains out based on the trains that are available in the pool. And so the way the pool works is there's going to be four trains sitting there at the start, and you can use one to four of those trains when you lay them out. And the reason this is important is that the second action is to take a stock from a company, right? So there's four sure. companies. You're going to start the game with two stocks. It's going to be different from everybody else's combinations, but to take this stock you have to pay and you're going to have uh resources available in four different categories um so these are like your various types of revenue that you have they're on the board right so there's wood stone cotton and i think furs maybe i don't remember the orange one and to purchase a stock the number of trains available in the pool will determine how much the stock costs so if the person in front of you moves the orange train out by three, mm-hmm. which helps them in a number of ways, 
then now you can buy the orange stock for one. It used to cost four, now it costs one. So every time you take an action in this game, every single time you're helping someone else potentially. And it's infuriating. It's the kind of game where you're constantly weighing your options of like, well, I could do this, which does benefit me. Because when you move into a new city, there's going to be different goods there. And whatever goods are there, you're going to move up on those tracks. You're getting income from that, right? So you want to do that. You need that income because that's how you're going to score points at the end of the game. Whoever has the most of any of those goods is going to score the most points from that track, right? But when you do that, you make the stock cheaper for the next person who can now get into that market and also score the points that you're trying to score. So there's like this push and pull constantly where you're like, well, I really want to lay these all four of these trains out, right? And it can be up to five. It can move all the way up to five trains. But sure, you want to lay them all out. Like there's a really cool combination I could do here. But if I do that, that stock is free for the next person. And they're going to take it because why would you not take the free stock, right? Buying the stocks is pretty difficult. If it costs more than like two or so, it gets pretty expensive because not those things aren't just resources to spend. Those are like, you're trying to win, you know, for the wood, for example, if you have five wood and the next person has four and the next person has two, right? If you spend three wood and you drop all the way down to two, you are now tied for second place on that track, which means you're scoring less points for each of your wood stocks. If you stay in first place, you score the most points for your wood stocks. So you need to keep a careful balance in having a diverse number of stocks, not too many though, because that means you're not taking enough other actions, being high on each of those different tracks, like first, second place in as many places as you can be, and making sure the stocks you own are the ones that have moved highest on the value track. It sounds like way more complicated than it is, but it also is. I don't know how he managed to do this. He took all these ideas and it really burns your brain sometimes trying to figure out how to make it work. But it's a 45 minute game. It takes less than an hour to play. It scales pretty well in terms of player count. There are some tweaks to it in two and three players. And the solo mode has like a bot that, you know, simulates taking up space. But I don't know. It's very impressive what uh, Mark Garrett's put together here. So I highly recommend Mini Express. It's a buy if you can find a copy because I don't know if this ever went to retail or not. I know in the past, uh, Moaidi. Moidius games uh, would be at conventions, but obviously that's not happening um, right now. So I don't know how else to find these, but it wasn't crazy expensive on the Kickstarter. I think it was like 30 or 40 bucks. So if you can find a copy, it's small, it's accessible. There's a copy behind me for the video listeners, <laughs> viewers, <laughs> um, very tiny little box. And I highly, highly recommend it. I had a lot of fun with this. I'm really glad I picked it up and um, it's sitting there because I plan on playing it solo and hopefully getting another game in next week, uh, the next time we meet up. So Mini Express, good game. Very cool. Yeah, it's nice to see those games, like you said, be accessible for a broad audience. And obviously for us out there who are just not normally into these type of games, it really it allows it to get to the table. And that's that's really essential and great to see. So yeah, no, I hope to check it out as well. So that are the games that hit our table this week. Now on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about games that feature, highlight, honor, and show off the wonderment of our animal friends out there in the world in the best ways possible. 
There are a lot of board games that have animals, but let's be honest, sometimes it's not in the best situations possible. These 10 games, the best of the 10 games, are all about our animal friends. And and Anthony, you're a big animal lover yourself, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've grown up with animals. Since I was little, my mother surrounded us with animals. Um, I don't think there's been a... Mo- Except for like the five months after our last dog passed away. Aww. I don't think I've had a moment in my life where I didn't have a pet at some point. So Aww. it's, yeah. yeah, animals are important to to us, uh, to all. I, I I had fun putting this list together, though, too, because like I went in here and I saw you'd put in top 10 animal based games and there's three rules. <laughs> so I was like, got to follow these three rules. No fantasy, which is a lot of nope. animal games because you just, yep. you know, Everdell or whatever. Uh, yes, <laughs> we shouldn't be eating the animals because in the game it's oh. not about animals; it's about people eating dinner. Yes. And it shouldn't be about dinosaurs because, yeah, they're animals, but they've been extinct for 100 million years. So, um, it, there's not as many as you think there would be on the list, which yeah. is kind of sad because I was like, there's so many good things you could do just with animals. Um, sure, but the ones we have here are pretty good. Yeah, animals are our friends, and they have wondrous extensive and marvelous lives and board games allows us an insight into those lives so anthony you put together a fantastic list here so why don't you run us through that and uh let us know the top 10 board games that feature highlight support and just get wondrous animals to our table in a board game format of course (laughs) yes board game format of course uh, yes. So number 10 had to be Animal Upon Animal, which sure it could have been anything. It doesn't have to be an animal game, but it is like the animal game because it has animal it in the title twice. Uh, it's also the one I played the most on this list because I have a six-year-old daughter who loves it. So nice. you stack animals on top of other animals. There's like 15 different versions of this. You get a giant version, you get a tiny version, you get a unicorn version, you can get like a versions with different types of animals from different locations at the end of the day it's just a simple dexterity game but it's a classic for a reason nice yeah i've seen this a lot and again it it just it always hits the internet because again just the combination of the animals and they're just beautifully designed and these are nice chunky pieces on top of everything else and this is a great kid game but it's also like a really cool stacking game as well so yeah no i love this and this is haba right yeah, yeah. So that you know it's quality then. Comes in yellow Absolutely. box. It's going to be good. All right, Anthony, what's our number nine? All right, number nine on the list is a game that I discovered here in Pittsburgh because the designer of this game lived across the street from me when I moved here. Um, wow. <laughs> he, he has since left Pittsburgh, which is unfortunate, but uh, it's called Agility. So uh, this was on Kickstarter uh, back in 2015, 2016. And it's about dog agility. So these competitions where dogs, they run through the different obstacle courses and, and, you know, bark a bunch. It's pretty funny if you watch it because they they just get really excited and just bark constantly as they're running through these things. Um, But it's a two player only game, which Brent Povis is kind of known for. He also made Pharrell's about hunting for mushrooms, not animal related, but also very good. And uh, this one, it was a lot of fun. Uh, It came with like a little because I backed it on the Kickstarter like a little personal dog dish that he engraved the name of our dog onto. Um, Yeah, it's really cute. Like, so I'm definitely keeping this game forever at this point. Uh, But yeah, if you like dogs, if you like 
dog related sports, you know, <laughs> dogs have fun. So this is, it's about the dogs. Um, agility is really solid. Wonderful. Yeah. I remember seeing this game way back when, and again, it's just another aspect of our animal friends, um, our loyal pets. And I obviously not, no one, no one and no thing is as loyal as our dogs. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is great. All right, Anthony, what's our number eight? Number eight is, Hey, that's my fish. So yeah, another, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, another kid's game. That's a lot of fun for the grownups out there. This is a game in which you lay out a big uh, grid of hex tiles, uh, and they each have fish on them. And then you're going to slide your penguins around and pick up the fish and ideally cut off the other penguins so that they float off into the ocean <laughs> and you get the most fish. Um, it's, it's silly. It's fun, but it's, 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 very accessible it's very easy to teach it's a small little box it's one of the weird rare things that fantasy flight continues to print for some reason despite the fact they're getting rid of everything else that they make so i recommend checking out hey that's my fish yeah i remember playing this as part of our board game competition at myriad games and i actually think i won this one and i'm just like yeah, yeah that's you my did. Fish. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 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 a very subtle kind of fun kind of game but it's also like super cutthroat. Like you said, like you're basically just like stamping out the ice and sending your friends off on an ice floe to like nowhere. So yeah. So yeah, I, again, even if it's not for kids, it's really a fun game for adults if you want to kind of like, you know, get a little like backstabby, but in a really kind of fun way. All right, Anthony, what about our number seven? Uh, number seven is The Fox in the Forest slash the fox in the forest duet um these are both two-player trick-taking games so the original is competitive the latter is cooperative and you are in the forest trying to i don't even know what the theme of this game is i just know there's beautiful artwork of these various animals on these cards i know in the duet game you are trying to complete these various locations uh before they close off but it's beautiful artwork. The cover alone is fantastic. You know, you're this fox in the forest kind of running around doing these various things. And, you know, the original game is very good, but there's something just magical about this when they converted it into a cooperative game because it works so well. And there's other two-player cooperative trick-taking games that have come out now kind of based on this, but this is like the one I think of for that. So highly recommend it. Nice. Yeah, again, this is one of, I guess, like, I really like trick-taking games, and then you came on board, and you were like, I like them now, too. I'm like, awesome. And then I, you were just loving them, and I hadn't seen a good one for, the like, the longest time. And then you and I played this, and it became an instant favorite of mine. And I just, I love this game. Again, it's beautiful artwork. It's it's a very serene idea about, about their, you know, where they live and how they kind of play together. And oh, it's just fantastic. Just just right off the bat. Love it. All right, Anthony, what about our number six? All right, number six. It, it could be a cheat because there are dinosaurs in one version of this. So I'm uh -huh, sorry. Uh -huh. I cheated a little. <laughs> um, but the, the Evolution series of games, right? So sure. you've got Evolution, the original Evolution. You've also got Oceans, which is related, kind of in a similar um, system. You've got Flight. So... There's a bunch of these games, but the basic idea is you are developing a species and adding these various traits and all these things and trying to evolve them and basically evolve the most effective species so that you come out on top. 
mm-hmm. against the other species that are developing. Um, we played this pre pre alpha, right? Like we played a very early version when it was up on Kickstarter and it was good, but not great. And they've been iterating on the concept and the core mechanics of this game now for almost 10 years. That was, mm. I want to say seven or eight years ago that we played that. And it's just gotten better and better, right? And it's representative of all these different biomes and all these types of species and basically what it means to be an animal on Earth and how you kind of have to evolve these different traits to survive. And so it's interesting as a game because the game is solid, but also as a science tool, which I think is really cool. Very cool. Yeah. And again, like you mentioned, you know, our interaction with animals are so limited, especially wild animals and especially like you said, the evolutionary history of animals, how intelligent they are and how innovative their adaptations happen to be. But we just see, oh, look, there's an animal. Like, no, the animal's doing like 500 different things and it's like ever vigilant all the time because of predators or predators are being geniuses to overcome all of their prey's defenses. And just like, it's this wondrous and horrifying kind of ballet and you get to play it out in evolution. And it's really it's a really wonderful idea. All right, Anthony, what about our number five? All right. Number five on the list is Mariposas. This is the second game from Elizabeth Hargrave, whose name might pop up again on this list. Uh, And this is a game about the migration of monarch butterflies. So every spring, millions of them fly from Mexico all the way up through North America, the East coast. And then in the fall, they all fly back, right? But they have to fly up and then they, you know, they breed and then the next generation flies back. So the game is all about like moving up and trying to score the most points based on these various patterns and um, cards that come out throughout the game. But then you need to get the butterflies back. So you have to decide when to turn around, basically, and start making the return journey. So there's three seasons in the game. Um, In the first season, you're, you know, you're heading north in the spring. In the summer, you kind of spread out, and in the south, in the fall, you're returning south, right? But it's not as cut and dry as that. You kind of have to determine when to make the decisions, when to adjust, how to try to maximize your scoring based on the different cards that come out for each of those three rounds. And at the end of the game, if you have you know the most butterflies in the right locations and the most points, mm-hmm. um, you score the, you win the game, right? It's not like it's a pretty game but it's also a little more abstract than her other game. So I don't think this one has hit quite as hard. I know it's not hit quite as hard as Wingspan. No. But I don't think it's hit nearly as hard as people even expected this one to. Sure. But I think that's a shame because it's really good. It's, I don't, I struggle to say whether it's easier to teach or harder to teach than Wingspan. I think it might be a little bit harder because it is more abstracted. Sure. But I still think it's good for children. I think my, you know, my son could play this. Um, And it's, an interesting topic. It's meticulously researched because it's Elizabeth Hargrave. And uh, it's an interesting thing that like you don't think about, but is this massive part of the animal kingdom every year. Yeah. no, And again, another wondrous and insane, unbelievable uh, accomplishment that, you know, the, that we see in this in, in the butterflies here and the, the whole animal kingdom their journey like again you see a butterfly for mere moments and you're like oh it went from a flower to a flower and that's its life it's like uh, you know it kind of crosses continents <laughs> so like right that's actually what's going on there so again 
you know, literally on paper, paper kind of wings, considering everything else that could happen. And there's literally everything else could happen. It somehow makes those journeys. So again, wonderment on all levels. All right, Anthony, what about our number four? Number four is the, uh, it's designed by Joe Hopkins, first time game designer, Endangered. This is a game that was on Kickstarter and it's cooperative uh, and it has a, it's not like pandemic like, but it has a similar concept behind it in terms of what you're trying to do. And so the idea is that there are, um, I think in the base game, it's tigers and sea otters that are endangered, right? And so you play um, one of several different types of individuals who are trying to save them. So there's a zoologist, a philanthropist, a TV host, a lobbyist, and an environmental lawyer. So five of them, right? They each have a special ability. So again, very pandemic-like. And what you're trying to do is basically stop the various things that are infringing upon these animals that could cause them to go extinct. So, yes, you know, poachers, climate change, whatever it is, mm-hmm. until the four UN ambassadors vote yes on a resolution that will mark them as endangered and protect them, provide resources to protect these animals so that it's not so hard to keep them alive. It's, a sad game because this is how the process works, you know, yes. and the the challenge that so many people go through to try to save these species that we should all be working together to save anyways. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it's very effective because you can see what goes into that. There's a lot of research done here. There's a lot of very specific cards, you know, like talk about like clear cutting and poaching and, yeah. you know, uh, manufacturing and home building, like all these different things that we do as human beings that are infringing upon um, animal habitats and we don't realize it. And sometimes we do realize it, but then you are in this game trying to stop that from happening until a larger body actually acts to protect them. So um, you're not playing as an animal in this one, like in the other games, but it's uh, I think very important uh, on that front. Yeah. And again, another insight into a world that we barely know and obviously something that we have a tremendous impact on and the wonderment again of these magnificent animals that we could just lose in an instant. And it's obviously so, so important to know about because again, like you said, Anthony, like there's a whole bunch of different um, jobs or areas or ways in which we can support and protect endangered species. And you don't necessarily have to be some sort of superhero. You just have to do something to get to know their world And then just make a little difference along the way because it does have a tremendous impact. And we all could have a tremendous impact. So yeah, wonderful. Uh, Endangered. It was a Kickstarter, but now it's out there in retail. So absolutely, pick it up. All right, Anthony. So what do we have up next for our number three? Number three is a very cute little card game called Peep Mutts. Uh, It is designed by Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle, who do Mm -hmm. all sorts of games. But this is a small, tiny box card game from Lookout Games where you are playing various different bird cards trying to get seeds uh, and birds to the right bird feeder to feed the birds. So you're basically feeding songbirds, right? Um, Beautiful artwork on the cards, like these very classic style, like right out of the Audubon Society, like illustrations of the birds. But also like like the scroll work and the colors and the, the calligraphy on the text. It's all beautiful, right? Um, and you're essentially trying to create various patterns and 
build these uh, tableaus of birds in the right order to get them to the feeders, right? It's not a particularly complicated game, but it works really well. It's accessible, it's quick, it's a small box. I found that it has a lot more depth than you might expect for a game of this size. And um, I've enjoyed it just in general as a game, but as a bird game especially, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and again, this is another game that's out there that's just, no pun intended, but flown beneath the radar a little bit. Right. Because <laughs> if people do, and we all do, and I do, like I'm a city boy, so I didn't really grow up with pets, even though I think animals are amazing. I love and support them in all ways I can possibly do that. But we've always had bird feeders. And again, that was like the one kind of like bringing nature in home. So the idea of like, just strategically what I do every day is like, what seed do I need to get out there? How do I battle against, you know, the, the squirrels out there to make sure that there's some food out there for the birds and not just the squirrels. I feed the squirrels too, but yeah, no. And again, gorgeous, gorgeous throwback game. I mean, I, I think I don't understand why more people have not picked this up, but I'm so glad that that's on your list, Anthony, because this game should blow up, you know, obviously there's another board game that's out there about birds, but I think this one really has, you know, uh, you know, something to say. And I, and I think it's something that everyone should take a look at. All right, Anthony. So we've been kind of like flying around a little bit here. What is our number two game? Yeah, you all know what this is based on everything we just said. Um, <laughs> I love Pete Mutz, and I, I think I even like it a little bit more than this game, but yeah. it's Wingspan, and it's obviously like one of the most impressively made games about animals out there, period. Like the amount of research that Elizabeth Hargrave put into the 170 different birds in this game, not to mention the expansions that have now been done, both expansions for the European and the uh, Oceania birds. Yeah. So much research and effort and time put into this. The basic idea of the game is you are bird enthusiasts. So whatever you want to call it, researchers, bird watchers, ornithologists, and you're trying to discover and attract all of the best birds to your own personal network. Right. And then once they get there, their various abilities are going to chain off of each other. It gets a little gamey gamey in there, but the idea is you're building a tableau of birds that will activate various abilities based on the other birds and actions that you take. And you're trying to score the most points by doing that. So you're going to gain food tokens from the dice that are rolled. You're going to lay eggs. There's little miniature eggs. Um, and the ones that come with the game are perfectly nice, but you can get really nice ones if you want to upgrade them. You're going to draw from this huge deck of bird cards. Um, the the artists that worked on this, uh, I don't have their names in front of me. I believe there's three women that worked on this, but beautiful artwork on every single card in this game. Every it card, is like, yeah. and it's not just like, oh, this is a great game if you're like birds, this has just been the game for the last two years. This thing has sold crazy well. And I think just now in the last six months, can you just go and find it if you want it? It took so long to get this thing printed to the level to meet the demand. So if you think of animal games or bird games, this is the game you are going to think of. Uh, and it's pretty accessible across the board. You know, it's not a big, heavy, heavy game. It's, you know, pretty medium-ish weight. So can't not recommend wingspan it's it's out there if you haven't heard of it for some reason definitely go play it yeah we've talked about this at length and it and it's surprisingly it's one of those games that the hype you know is so big you always think like well it's not going to live up to it and it really kind of lived up to it for so so many people so many diverse groups of people out there and once you do play wingspan once you really dive into the cards and again 
what I love about games is when they're thematic, like the the birds here, what they're doing, their special ability is thematic to the bird more times than not. And I think that's just wonderful because now, you know, just generally in life, you know, when I hear or see or someone talks about a bird or birds in general, I'm like, hey, did you know these things? And I love that about board games when it really brings real science to the table and it shows you how, you know, the ecology of it all and how everything kind of networks together. And, and you do that in the game itself, you know, how the, the birds kind of play off each other. So, yeah, Wingspan, I mean, what else could you say? All right, Anthony, so that leaves us to our number one game about animals. And again, whether they're pets, whether they're wild animals, whether they're ancient animals out there, all of these games have so much to teach us. But Anthony, there is one game. There is Top Dog. There is an alpha out there. Uh, What's the number one top 10 board games about animals? Yeah, I mean, it's in the name. It's Dominant Species. (laughs) gotta be dominant species there you go yeah we we love our heavy euros and this is like one of the defining heavy euros to the point that it's been parodied on very popular television programs so absolutely um dominant species originally came out in 2010 uh designed by the late great designer chad jensen who sadly passed away um rest in peace a couple years last year yeah Mm -hmm. and this is Broadly considered, you know, one of the great Euros around, period. It's a highly interactive area control game. Uh, one of the very first worker placement games uh, with kind of a programming element to it. You play of one as one of six different species, or I guess animal families. And they the goal is to score the most points, of course, but you do it by dominating the other species, right? Whether it means spreading out and just having the most on the map or just destroying the other ones. and it's in food chain order, right? So you got the mammals who are the biggest, strongest ones. They break all the ties. And then you got the little insects at the very bottom of the food chain who get to go first, but always, you know, they're at the bottom of everything, right? They're not going to win any ties anywhere. They just need to be everywhere. And the amount of things you have to think about, the way you have to think through how this game works and the things that it teaches you about how intricate the animal kingdom is, Right. This game takes place, I think it says 90,000 BC or so. So like we're right before the Ice Age and all these different animals are kind of struggling for dominance before, you know, some of them might go extinct. You know, it's, it's a big part of the game. And it just works so well. The main problem with this game, though, is that it's like four or five hours long. <laughs> so because sure. it's, it's a lot there. So also kind of rolling in dominant species marine here because you didn't hear that yes. on the list, but that doesn't mean the game isn't good. It means it is equal to dominant species. I've played it yes. only once, unfortunately, so I can't, we haven't reviewed it yet. We can't say this game is X, Y, Z on the order, but my initial impressions are that it's fantastic. It's a little bit shorter. It's a little bit more accessible um, than dominant species. So there is a place here for both of these games. And that's super exciting for me because I love that. Excellent. Yeah. Again, this is one of those games that, really kind of throws us into the whole evolutionary chain for, as you mentioned, how far back it goes. Um, When you actually play the game itself, it's again, you look at it, you're like cones and cubes. Why? Like this should not be, this is thematic. This is a game about animals. This is about adaptation, all this stuff. But then you realize that it really is 
you know, such an intelligent system that nature or evolution or the different different species have about how they do adapt to the different environments, what food is available, how the Canadian adapt to the other foods. And if they don't, they just kind of get wiped out. And all the different traits that goes on, regression and flight and all the movement and all the natural disasters that occur just normally in just, you know, the history of the world. So you have to adapt to those too, including the impending ice age that is spreading out. And then again, you have to do something about that too at the same time. So Marine obviously is going to be, I guess, I'm really hoping to be a game changer because if we can get dominant species a little bit more manageable and more to the table, and it seems like it does it here and it does it in a much better way, it really is going to kind of give us the best thematic, long-term, in-depth kind of feeling of animal creatures and cultures and environments and historical evolutionary kind of ways of existence. And we get to dive into that a little bit on a board game. So just really a fantastic list and 10 great games to check out. So dive into them, get to know our animal friends and partners in the world, and hopefully you will gain a greater and deeper appreciation of them. So until next time, Anthony, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. Take care, everyone.